we're just going to dive right into to this morning's topic. You may have, um, you may be sitting here thinking one of these thoughts, right? All major religions are equally valid, basically say the same thing, or it's arrogant to insist that your religion is right and try to convert others to it. Maybe those are thoughts like that that might be in your mind this morning. You may have heard comments like that from friends or family or coworkers or teammates when they hear that you are a Christian or that you, that you, follow, um, you follow Jesus. And those are all, I mean, those are all really, really common. And it's not an exhaustive list of the um, kind of the points that people take against what are considered the exclusive claims of Christianity. Like Christianity is the right way or, or the, the only way. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to talk briefly about those and then we're going to dig into to the rest of this. So here's the, here's the issue with what I've discovered with any any argument against exclusivity is that argument against exclusivity it's itself turns out to be an argument from exclusivity and or it makes the same claim if it's claiming arrogance against Christianity it's guilty of the same exact thing the same accusatory finger is pointing right back at, at itself so, for example, all major religions are equally valid, basically say the same thing. First off, it, um, thinkers, logicians, um, philosophers, there's something called the, the law of non-contradiction. And this first one violates the law of non-contradiction, which says that two things can't be true in the same way at the same time if they are opposites, which that entails. It's also, um, it uses doctrine to disprove doctrine. It creates a doctrine for itself. Like, well, God is all loving, so however anybody believes is fine. Right? It, it sets up a doctrine, and it says that that doctrine is right, and the other ones are wrong. So it, in its attempt to be inclusive, it rules out all those who would follow one, one way, whether that's Islam or Judaism or Christianity or any other one way. Um, if you look at religious belief as too culturally and historically conditioned to be truth, that's one of the ones that turns around and points a finger back at itself. That thought itself is historically and culturally conditioned. Uh, there's a gentleman named Alvin Platinga. He's a, a Christian philosopher, and he gives, he gives this example. The person who makes that claim, say they live somewhere in the West, Toronto. If they make that claim... If that person had been born, say, in Morocco, odds are they would not be making that claim. Because of where they're born and when they're born, the culture in which they live, every, we all have to deal with that. It's this, you can't point the finger out without it pointing back at you. Same is true of the, the arrogance argument. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on those. But my, the point is, is that when we deal with claims of absolute truth, they will be exclusive. Nate, can you go to the next slide? Ravi Zacharias put it really simply, truth by definition is exclusive. Right, the fact um, there are just things in the world that just are like gravity, right? As much as I may hate gravity because I can't dunk a basketball, it doesn't make it cease to exist. There are absolute truths in, in this world. So 
what, how do we, what do we do with the fact that uh, these exclusive claims can be so, so difficult and, and so hard? I think we have to come to, uh, come at it from a couple of different angles. And then, Nate, next one. Um, if we look at it this way, yes, Christianity is a claim to exclusivity, but it is not alone. So therefore, it is res the responsibility of the believers, of Christians, to handle the exclusive claims of truth with all the grace that Jesus shows and makes available to them, to us. And I'm going to unpack that, but I tried to like consolidate what the big idea for this morning was in just a, a few sentences or two. The first thing I want to do is just really, really quickly um, look at major religions of the world. I took, I think that's the five, uh, five or six that represent the biggest percent of the, of the world's population. Nate, next slide. So this is Judaism. Uh, this is from the Old Testament. The folks of Judaism follow the God of the Old Testament. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the Jewish people's claim to exclusivity. No other gods before me. Next. Christianity's claim to exclusivity is found in the person of Jesus, made by the person of Jesus. Jesus answered them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Islam, this is from the Quran, and your God is one God. There is no deity worthy of worship except him, the et et sorry, entirely merciful and especially merciful. So those all kind of focus on being monotheistic or a belief in, in one God. Hinduism. Truth is one, the wise call it by many names. So that sounds like, oh, well, that's just like everything, everything is good. But what the Hindus, what the, Hin the beliefs of Hinduism exclude are the exclusivists. It, so if you follow Islam, no good. If you follow Judaism, no good. If you follow Christianity, it doesn't jive with the beliefs of Hinduism. Buddhism and but the beliefs of Buddhism, there is no sovereign God, right? So Islam, Christianity, Judaism are ruled out. They're excluded. As well as Buddhism was formed, Gautama Buddha formed Buddhism out of kind of a rejecting the beliefs of Hinduism, specifically the scriptures of Hinduism, the Vedas, and the idea of the, of the caste system. So that excludes the, the Hindus as well. Atheism. The atheist is simply a person who has perceived the lies of religion and refused to make them his own. It's written by a guy named Sam Harris in something called the Atheist Manifesto. Uh, atheism believes that all religions are false. Well, the only thing that exists is what we can see and what we can prove with, with science. And that excludes everybody who believes in any sort of supernatural deity, which was the entire rest of that, that list. Inclusivism. While atheism rejects all religions as false, inclusivism accepts all religions as true. And again, while that sounds great, it excludes Christians and Jews and Muslims and everybody who would claim an exclusive path. That was really quick. That was like an overview of world religions. That was several semesters worth of, worth of stuff, right? But basically the point is this, that Christianity is, is not alone and it's exclusive truth claims. You would think I had like surgery on my mouth and not my eye, the way things are going this morning. So as we, we think about that, 
we need to wrestle with where those claims came from. I'm not uh, an expert in the subject matter of the other religions. All I'm going to do this morning is try and, and speak about the person of Jesus because he's the one that made the claim that takes the most heat, that sets itself up as the most divisive. And he actually said, he told his followers when he walked this earth, he said, this message, my message, is going to be divisive. It's going to be hard to follow. It's going to be offensive. At the same time, though, at the same time, he looked at his followers and he said, you should not be divisive, you should not be hard to follow, and you should not be offensive. So that's, that's how we get to where we're at. With this, we need to do like a recalibration of, of I would go so far, even to say of, of our beliefs, of our thoughts, and of our actions. Yes, Christianity, Jesus claims an exclusive truth. But that exclusive truth is wide open to anybody who would accept it. And that, that changes everything. The things that Jesus taught, the things that he said, changes everything. And I'm going to give us two that we kind of got to get our mindset around. And then we'll dive into the, like the, the practical, how do Christians do a better job at, um, at handling these exclusive truth claims. Uh, next slide, Nate. Our own shortcomings. So we, we need to get our hand around the scriptures that tell us that um, in the book of Romans it says, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. In the book of Isaiah, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Especially within, within Christianity, we above all people should be able to look in the mirror and, and recognize that we have no, um, no higher ground to stand on outside of, of Jesus. We get to call ourselves Christians not because of anything that we've done. It has zero to do with what we've done. It's everything to do with what Jesus has done. And when we come to that realization, it should change the way that we see anyone and everyone. We, it should not allow us to talk down to anyone. It should not allow us to look down on anyone. It should not allow us to belittle anyone. When we come to grips with our own shortcomings, when we look at ourselves through the lens of the Bible and we say, without Jesus, we are in the exact same boat as everybody else in the world. It takes away whatever sort of moral superiority complex we might think that we have, our own shortcomings. The next one is this. It's the fact that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. This is an idea that Christian thinkers since the very beginning, like St. Augustine, way, way, way back when, up to modern day theologians, like a guy named R.C. Sproul, um, have all talked about, all agree with, all think is a, a, a biblical concept. And if some, just what it says, if something is true, it's a creation of God's and we should pursue it. We spent the better part of the year studying the book of James. James. 127, I think the true religion is this, is that you would look after orphans and widows in their distress. So that's, that's something that's true in the Bible. It's absolutely true when it's approached by people who don't have a biblical worldview. 
So, for example, if there is a, an organization or a group that considers itself part of the LGBTQ community and they're doing work for orphans, if they're doing fundraising or doing something in support of kids without parents or parents who have disowned them or have turned their back on them, we could and should feel good about joining in with what they're doing and trying to help those kids. Or a different example, um, and this one has always kind of kind of bugged me, and uh, I'll call it the, the evangelical aversion to the ecumenical. Ecumenical meaning like people from different um, parts of Christianity coming together to do, to do something. And there are churches all over, I don't know how many churches there are in Trumbull, 30, 35, 40 churches in Trumbull, maybe more. And they all, um, they all have sort of varying different beliefs on the, on the Christian faith. But if there's a group of those churches who are coming together and they're making sandwiches for the homeless or they're collecting blankets or coats for the homeless and they may not believe exactly the same things that we do, we can and should join with them because we're looking out for the homeless. Matthew 25, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Right? They're pursuing a truth that's God's truth. So we should be on board with them doing the same thing. So we take those two things. We take the idea of our own shortcomings and we take the idea that all truth is God's truth. And it, it, should, it should change our perspective on the way that we think and act towards everyone. So here's where, uh, here's where, we, where we pick up from last week. Uh, I, I started by last week talking about how we might do a better job loving and reaching out to and connecting with uh, folks that come from different backgrounds and, and different lifestyles. And this is it's absolutely true for this conversation as well as we think about how we handle the exclusive truth claims of Jesus that these, these things hold true. Nate, next slide, bud. The first one is the fear of both grace and truth. Not just one or the other, but we need to get over the fear of grace and truth. And what I mean by that is this, is it basically comes down to caring more about what other people think than about what Jesus thinks. If we're holding back, if we're not, you know, investing in a coworker, developing a relationship with a teammate or whatever because of fear of what somebody else might think, well, if I'm talking to so-and-so, somebody's going to think I'm X, Y, and Z. Or if I'm at this place, somebody's going to think badly. And specifically, I'm thinking about church people thinking about me in a poor, in a poor light because I'm reaching out to this person or to that person. And the fact of the matter is, um, it doesn't really matter what church people think. What matters is, is what Jesus thinks. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, Jesus is probably going to look at you, not raise an eyebrow and say, what took you so long? Jesus spent his life going to people who were marginalized and pushed aside and cast out. People who were considered untouchable or unacceptable. Or, and that's, that's where we should be. Um, as his followers. So here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. How we get there, how we show grace, how we not 
we get ourselves to a point where we're not afraid to show grace, is we've got to experience it first. Nate, next slide. Extravagant grace comes from experienced grace. You cannot give something away that you don't have. We have to put ourselves in a position to find that grace, to experience that grace, to know that grace. And that grace comes from the truth of God. So I'm going to, as a community, I'm going to push us further. I, I want us to get deeper into the things that we believe. I want us to be more confident in the things that we believe. I want us to um, have a greater knowledge of the things of God, of the things that are found in Scripture. So you might hear me use words like doctrine or we have conversations along those lines. And it's so that we can experience the grace of God in ways that we haven't, not so it would stop with us, but so that we could go out into the world and share that grace that we've experienced, that we've found in the truth of God. And then so when we get out there, we have to not be afraid of truth. And there's two things that affect our ability to communicate truth. The first one um, is this, just where we are right now in time. Right? Making a truth claim, saying anything is an absolute, is a really uh, almost like dangerous, might be overstating a little bit here in the West, but almost a dangerous, um, dangerous thing to, to do. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the other one, the other part of it we have to overcome is how poorly the truth of Jesus has been handled by Christians throughout time. We have to get to a point where we know the truth of Jesus well enough and it's part of us that we can communicate it without bashing people over the head with the Bible, without saying things like, well, the Bible says it's true, so it's true, so shut up, right? That's, that's, not, um, that's not engaging people in, in love. We, you know, if, you're, if you have a friend who has a, a, or a relative, coworker who comes from a different background, who has a different lifestyle, if you're familiar with the Bible, not every conversation you have with them has to be based on Romans 1, right? You don't have to have every conversation about their lifestyle. We need to do, we need to earn the right to be heard. We need to earn the right to be heard through self-sacrificing relationships. And then once, once we've earned the right, then we get to share the good news of Jesus' grace and mercy and forgiveness and love for everybody. We need to work to rid ourselves of the fear of grace. We need to grow deeper in our knowledge of the things of God so we can experience that grace and then take the truth of God out into the world as Jesus did. Next one. All right, one more. There we go. All right, so I started... I started down this road last week, and um, things started, started getting a little crazy around here. So I wanted to, to cover it, and um, I added a, a, little, a little bit to it. This idea that if you, if you disagree with somebody, that there's automatically, like, some, some hate going on there. If we have, if we have different opinions, that um, it just, it's just not going to work. Again, growing deeper in our knowledge of Jesus and the things of faith. When we look at scripture, that's not what we see. We need to, to spend time, you know, we were, we were having this conversation at, um, at our, our lead team meeting um, 
Leanne and Gail and John and Rachel and I, and we were talking about this living in this tension between grace and truth and, and how does it start and trying to overcome this, this disagreement equals hate. And um, I think it was John. He's, we, we need to start by just being decent human beings, right? That's the, the common grace that we need to, we need to start with. We're going to, as we go about our jobs and our lives and our, our schoolwork, we're going to be put in situations with all kinds of people. And we just need to have a foundation of being, of being decent humans to everybody. And I just, I think the story of, uh, that Jesus tells of what's kind of famously known as the Good Samaritan is just so telling. Like, and it's not just the people that we like. It's the people that we disagree with. It's the people that we're opposed to. And the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells the story of two men who are, could not be any further different from each other, any more diametrically opposed, uh, ethnically, culturally, uh, religiously. Every, in every way they were different and, and opposed to each other. And there was an injured man, and he was, he was robbed and beaten and on the side of the road. And a couple of uh, religious leaders went by and kind of stepped around him for a variety of reasons. And then this Samaritan man, who was his polar opposite, who should have been the one, who could have been the one to walk by him, stepped in to the literal mess that was that guy's situation and took care of him. He, he put himself in harm's way. He put himself in harm's way culturally. He put himself in harm's way relationally. He put himself in harm's way financially because he took him to a place to stay and he paid for him to stay and he paid for his care. Bible never allows for disagreement to equal hate. As a matter of fact, and I gave part of this list last week, Jesus says lots of things about how we should treat those who we, are, we disagree with, those with whom we have differences. He says things like we should pray for them. He says we should invite them in. We should welcome them. We should go the extra mile for them. We should show ourselves vulnerable to them. We should love them. Disagreement doesn't have to equal hate. Uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Peter. He was raised Jewish. He went through the, you know, the rituals and rites of, of the Jewish faith. And as he grew up and, and shaped his own opinions and beliefs, if you were to ask him right now, he would tell you that he is uh, an atheist who thinks that religion is for the weak. He also happens to be one of my best friends. He was one of my college roommates. We played football together. We were in a fraternity together. Um, I would like to think that he somehow benefited from our relationship. I know I benefited from being in a relationship with him. He has a huge heart for those who he cares about. Uh, he will probably deny that if you were to ask him that. Um, but he's, he's an incredible guy. And we are able to argue about the things upon which we disagree, but we're also able to laugh and celebrate each other, and we're able to laugh and celebrate the things upon which we agree. Disagreement does not have to equal hate. Next one. My own ignorance, our own ignorance. Um, the church has a long way to go. The church, big church, our church, crossroads. Um, 
people from different backgrounds and lifestyles should think of the church as the first place that they would want to go to if they had a question, to the f- as the first place that they would want to go to if they needed to feel safe, if they needed to feel protected. And unfortunately, they don't. They're, people are cautious and guarded and even hostile. And as, as time kind of marches on, I think it's pretty clear, I'm not going too far out on a limb to say that the cultural divide between those that follow Jesus and the rest of the world is only going to get bigger. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean we get to point a finger across the divide. It means we have to work harder to reach across the divide. It means we have to work harder to love across the divide. That's what Jesus did. That's what he spent his time doing. He was really intentional about about doing that. You know, Jesus um, could have conversations with people who were far from him, who were opposed to him, who didn't understand him, who weren't in their right mind, and he knew them at a heart level because he created their heart. We don't have, we don't have that advantage, right? So we're going to have to work harder to do what he did. If we're going to call ourselves followers of him, we're going to have to work harder to follow in his footsteps and to reach across that divide. And I want to give you a couple of really just practical examples. Um, these are a couple of books. We've been making books available for sale throughout this series that, um, that might kind of uh, give you a different perspective on how to, um, how to relate to folks who are different than you come from different backgrounds, different lifestyles. Uh, the first one is called Gay, Gay Girl, Good God, written by Jackie Hill Perry. She is a rapper. She's a speaker. She's obviously an author. Um, and she came out of a homosexual lifestyle. She's now married. She's got some kids. But her story is, is an amazing one, and it's, it's worth the reading. She's got some really, really uh, great, great thoughts. Caleb Kaltenbach wrote a book called Messy Grace. Um, Caleb is a pastor, and he grew up the child of um, two homosexual parents. Uh, his mom and dad ended up getting divorced, and um, just the, the subtitle, it says, How a Pastor with Gay Parents Learned to Love Others Without Sacrificing Conviction. Um, this has been one of the most challenging books that I've read in the last couple years um, because it occupies that messy space between grace and truth. Uh, Caleb tells a story of, of having to come out to his gay parents as a Christian. Like that's, what he, that's how he related the story and just the eye-opening experience that, that that was for him. So I would encourage you to pick up either one of or both of these books and, and just to read them as we, as we move on in this journey of trying to do a better job at, at handling these exclusive claims of truth, at, at reaching out to people who are, who are different than us. And let me say this. And... Um, I feel like I've maybe mentioned this once or twice before, but I think it's worth the risk of repeating myself. Um, Challenge yourself to read somebody or something, especially online, especially in social media, with whom you disagree. And not for the sake of, of going in the comments and tearing up their, like, I can destroy this argument in three, blah, 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 blah. No, I want you to... I want you to seek out, like maybe go read Sam Harris's Atheist Manifesto and see, see what's going on. And Sam Harris is a really interesting guy. What I, about, 
so, so, so interesting is that he's really, really angry at this God that he doesn't believe in. So it's not, it's not just like a logical thing, right? There's something that, that's going on inside of that guy. I don't know him personally, but just from reading that, like there's some emotion that's tied up in that too, right? It would be really easy to just keep that at arm's distance and think, atheist, bad guy, Ugh, he must be terrible. So, you know, whatever, whatever the, the dichotomy is, right, the, the extremes, if you watch Fox News, go watch some CNN. If you watch some CNN, go watch Fox News. Try and get some different perspectives on things. And again, not with the intent of trying to tear up the opposing side, but to gain, to gain some, some understanding. So, um, hey, Nate, can you put up uh, John 14, 6 again? It's at the beginning of, of my notes. So Jesus, Jesus makes the ultimate exclusive truth claim. I should have thought better about that phrasing. I have not been able to get that out right once. Let's, you, you guys say it. Ready? Truth claim. Go. Wow. Yeah, all right. You guys made that look easy. All right. Um, Jesus made the, the ultimate ultimate truth claim when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, you know, um, let, me, let me point you there specifically. He didn't say, let me lead you there. He didn't say, follow me. He did say all those things like he was pointing to something else, but he himself is the answer. Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's not giving directions. He's, he's, he's pointing to himself. He's not pointing outside of himself. And at the same time, at the same time while he was doing that, he was going to, he was inviting, he was welcoming the poor, the homeless, the sick, the handicapped, the mentally ill, the demon-possessed, the sexually immoral, outcast, downtrodden, picked on, put out, all the people that society had left behind and that you would think would be excluded are the people that he went to and the people that he invited in. So he makes this claim that I'm the exclusive way, but it's open to everybody. The forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the love of Jesus comes only through Jesus. But he doesn't, he doesn't discriminate against anybody. Everybody is, is welcome in. Those through the humble lips, the, the humility that sent Jesus to the cross, that made him servant of all, the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, are not a roadblock. Right? They're a they're a pointer that they're a, he's like trying to remind us. It's an invitation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he's trying to draw us in. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you've been left out, if you feel, or maybe, maybe even you are, right? Maybe you've done some stuff that you're not proud of. Jesus went to thieves and murderers and scoundrels and he invited them in. And if you're here this morning 
know that his grace and his love and his forgiveness is for you. And if you're here this morning and you already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're following him, you're going to follow him out into the world with his message to the people that are opposed to him and to you and that disagree with you and that come from different backgrounds and different lifestyles.